Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. Whenever and wherever you're listening, we just wanted to extend the warmest of welcomes. So kick back and relax as we continue through our sermon series. Northgate, how are we doing this morning? Yeah, man. Hey, it is such a privilege and an honor to be here with you. Uh, glad uh, to see Larry and Jeff and you just got such a great staff and a great leader in Larry. And I'm just telling you, it's just good to be out of the cold of Denver. My Lord, nobody told me about that when I moved there. Uh, it has snowed every week since the first of the year. And uh, my wife's at home, Jen's watching, she's all bundled up and it's 70 degrees there today, but snow's coming tomorrow. So uh, it's good to be out here in California and hanging out with y'all. Uh, I'm so excited to jump into the, the, the kind of middle of this series as you all are walking through the book of Matthew. And uh, when, when Larry called me a couple months ago and gave me the, the passage for, for today, I was like, oh man, I've never preached on this passage, and it's cool as a preacher when you haven't preached on a passage, and it'll be exciting for you as as those engaging this morning because uh, I'll see stuff. I'm going to see stuff in this text right now, and I might just like just stop and get all into it. So you're getting the very first blush of this. This isn't one of those rehearsed canned messages, but but this this message and this text that we'll jump into in a second really hit something inside of me as I've just kind of been wrestling through it the last couple of two weeks. And 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 it brought up some um, I say some not insecurities, but it's brought up some some things inside of me. Some some accountability is what it's brought up in me. Uh, and tell me if you if you you join me in this thought. You ever know the right thing? I'm not talking about big moral things. I mean like you ever know that there's like oh I should do this. But nobody's watching. So I'll just do what I want to do. Anybody ever ever do this? Me and my wife got into a huge discussion about this uh <laughs> just 2 days ago. Like I brought up the fact of like um shopping carts at like Target, right? Here's a deal. If you don't return the shopping cart, no one's going to say anything to you, right? Like, like you, you'll just go on your way. Like you'll leave it in the, in the rocks. You'll leave it. Some of you will just leave it in the middle of the parking lot and say, hey, good luck, everyone else. But like no one will say anything to you if you don't return the shopping cart back to the shopping cart bay, right? And right now you're making up different excuses in your mind why you have, you can't walk the extra 20 feet, right? You're like, well, Carl, you don't know what's going on in my life. I can't do that, right? Like that's, that's, that's some of us. Uh, th then it's like at the grocery store. You ever like put stuff in your grocery cart and then like, you're like, uh, I don't need this. Or in my case, my wife won't let me buy this, right? So I got to put the, the industrial size bag of Doritos away, right? But I'm not going to walk back to go do it. I don't care if I'm in the, in the milk section. I open up the milk refrigerator and I put the chips in there. And I say, listen, I, I'm, I'm trying, right? We've all, we've all been there. I'm going to age myself a little bit. Do you remember like at the, uh, you'd go to the store and uh, like pharmacy or drugstore or whatever it was. And they had like all these candies like in those bins. And there was a little sign that said you could take one. Right? Do anybody remember this? You could take one, but you had to put a nickel into this little like metal can that was padlocked, right? And you think to yourself, 
I can just take one because right? I'm going to buy more eventually, right? Or, or, or this is the accountability moment. It happened yesterday again when I was at the airport. And I only see this in the men's room because that's where I go. Uh, uh, <laughs> do you know how many people walk out of the men's restroom at airports across this country without washing their hands? Don't say ill, because some of y'all, just based on math, it's some of y'all. And I'm just like, what is happening in our world? Right? These are all instances where no one's going to really know. No one's going to really know if I do what I'm supposed to do, if I do what's expected. Nobody but Jesus That's a Jesus juke right there. I got you. You're laughing and now it's like, wait, what? And that's what happens in this text that I want to walk through for the next few minutes this morning. Jesus approaches a topic that people are like, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why are you getting all up in my business in my life? No, no one needs to know how I handle this subject. And Jesus points to how critical it is that we each approach this with kingdom concept in mind. Look what it says here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 48. I'm going to read all those passages for us. It says like this. It's Jesus speaking. You have heard what is said. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of the Father, of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus says in verse 43, you've heard it said. He's talking to religious folks. You've heard it. Said And right here, he is commenting on a passage from Leviticus. And, and that passage says that we are to love our neighbors. But, but then Jesus adds on a cultural distinctive that's been added by Jewish leaders, Pharisees of that day, where they added on to that Leviticus passage and they say, and hate your enemies. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You got it all wrong. I want to tell you the truth. See, the, the, the word enemy there, the Latin root of it means hostile or unfriendly. It, the prefix is in, which means not. The, 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 the second part of it is amicus, which means friend. So it means not your friends. Hate those who are not your friends. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you prescribe to that, that actually ends up being the majority of the world. 
See, the teachers of the law wanted to make the range of love smaller. And here Jesus says we need to extend this as far as it can go. When he says, he says, love your neighbor, earlier on in in, in the text, Jesus had actually gone when he's talking to some people and they say, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus goes on and tells the parable of the good Samaritan and shows that our neighbors look much different than we would assume. And oftentimes, are the ones that we call our enemy. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you consider yourself that this morning, part of what we do, part of what we're called to do is to imitate, replicate the character and person of Christ. Today, today is, is Palm Sunday. This is in Luke, we, we see where, where Jesus gets on a colt and he enters into Jerusalem. And this is a week before the, this is, this is leading into the Passion Week. And he's going to go to the cross and, and he's going to die and, and all that's going to happen. And it's a joyous occasion in Jerusalem that day where, where people are throwing uh, palm fronds in front of this colt that Jesus is walking in on. And it's like, hey, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then something interesting happens in the text in Luke 19, verse 41. Scripture tells us, Luke tells us that Jesus begins to weep over Jerusalem. He he weeps over Jerusalem because he knows in a few days these same people calling Hosanna to the highest, these same people saying, oh God, we love Jesus, you are here. These same people are going to call for his death. They don't even understand what's happening. And Jesus being the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Son of God, Jesus in that moment could have taken the opportunity to to, to, to squash the whole thing. To look at them and say, you're a liar, you're a liar, you're an accuser, you're going to be the one. But what does Jesus do? Jesus weeps and Jesus looks at People, catch this with me. Who are his enemies? And loves them. He's moved to a deep love. A love that will in fact cost him his life. Jesus taught all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And these are these passages that y'all have been walking through recently. Jesus is teaching on the character of citizens of the kingdom of God. The character of citizens of the kingdom of God. If you and I say we are followers of Jesus. What are we following Jesus into? Where are we following him? We are following him into his holy kingdom. And in that kingdom, 
things aren't always how they seem. Things don't always go in lock and step with the rest of the world, with the rest of culture. Jesus shows us throughout these different texts that if we are Christians and we claim to be different, we claim to be renewed, to be repented, to be redeemed, we must in fact live our lives as people who are renewed, who are repentant, who are redeemed by Jesus, for Jesus. And it is in fact the power of his Holy Spirit that strengthens us and should draw us to his truth. That's why in verse 44, Jesus says, but I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. Jesus is establishing his authority when he says, but I tell you, I'm not so interested in what you think you should do. I'm not so interested in the concessions you want to make. I'm not so interested in your butt ands, Jesus. I am telling you. Love your enemies. You can't add on to my word. See, see, that's what the scribes and the Pharisees did. They were adding on to the word of God. And Jesus, you can't add on to my word. I am telling you to love your enemies because listen to me, love is a choice, not a feeling. Love is a choice, not a feeling. Now, am I telling y'all, you can't dislike anyone? Am I saying that, hey, this passage is saying you can't ever be in disagreement with others? No, I'm not saying that at all. In fact, when John speaks on the same topic, John said the focus is on our attitude. So so it's it, it's about us saying, hey, I'm not going to ignore. I'm not going to despise. I'm not going to treat others as competitors or irritants or enemies. I am going to choose to love people because the way of the kingdom of God is always for his glory and our growth. The way of the kingdom of God is always for his glory and our growth. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus asked us to do things that are countercultural. Jesus asked us to do things that do not make sense to this world. But you and I are not part of this world. We are citizens of the kingdom of God, and in the years that God blesses us on this earth, we are simply sojourners passing through. Elizabeth Elliot, the famed missionary, she she writes a fictional story in her book called These Strange Ashes. This is a fictional story about Jesus, but I think it makes the point. It, 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 in her story, she writes, in the, in, in, excuse me, strange, strange Ashes, she writes this. One day Jesus said to his disciples, I'd like you to carry a stone for me. He didn't even explain anything. So the disciples look around and 
They pick up stones. Peter being the crafty one, the smart one, Peter picks up a really small stone and puts it in his pocket and keeps walking. And they walk a little further and they, they walk up this mountain and they get to the top of the mountain. Jesus tells them, hey, look at the mountain. Hey, take that rock that you've been carrying. Take it out and hold it. And they each do this different sized rocks and Jesus turns the rock into bread. And... They're like, yeah, this is how this works. Elliot goes on to say, then they, they continue their journey. And, and, and again, Jesus tells them to pick up a rock and follow me. This time, Peter says, I got it. And he picks up the biggest boulder that he can find. And he's walking miles and miles and miles with this. And then around supper time, Jesus led them to the side of a river, and he said, Now everyone, throw your stone into the water. They did. Then he said, Follow me. And they began to walk, and Peter and the others looked dumbfounded, and Jesus sighed and said, Don't you remember what I asked you to do? Who were you carrying the stone for? When Jesus says to love your enemies, who are you doing that for? Is it to ease your conscience? Is it to make nice to show the world, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm different? Or is it because you and I are redeemed, are repentant, are found new and want all parts of our life, seen and unseen, to point to the person of Christ Jesus. In verse 45, he says this, that you may be sons. Excuse me, he says, that you may be children of your father in heaven. That, that we would be little Christ, carbon copies of God's son, Jesus. That when the world looked upon us, they would not see us, but they would see our father who is in heaven. That we would love when it's inconvenient. That we would love when it's unpopular. That we would love outside ourselves. That we would love those who we deem our enemies. And again, don't just think of it in the concept of people who live on that side of the world or who live in that country. Or it, it, These are people, according to the text and the translation, who are not our friends. My example, as I, just, as I just sat in this text this week, I just kept coming back to it going, God, I feel like you're just, you're just talking to me. Because my guess is the last 20 minutes as I've been talking, you're thinking of someone. 
You're thinking of someone that there's a schism between you and them. I told my wife, I said, this is going to be the shortest sermon ever. Because the second I say, love your enemies, and Jesus tells us to love our enemies, all of us are convicted, and we're like, well, okay. <laughs> love your enemies, and you're thinking of that person. You're thinking of that, that coworker, that neighbor, that son, that estranged daughter. Maybe it's a spouse even. And you're like, yeah, we're on opposing sides. I go back to the word of God and the example set by God. Look at what Jesus says. In Mark chapter 2, verse 17, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinner. I have not come to call my friends, but I have come to call my enemies. And newsflash, before the work of the cross, you know who was an enemy of God? All of us. And you go back to the beginning of this good book. Look at what Jesus, what God does in, in, in his, is extending his love for people. Genesis chapter 3 verse 21. The first sacrifice that happens in all of scripture. The, this is after Adam and Eve have sinned and, and, and God is expelling them from the garden of Eden. What happens? The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. When they were in sin, when they had just committed the first sin, what does God do? God kills an animal and puts garments on them. And he says, even in your sin, I love you. Even in your sin, I take care of you. Even as my enemy, I provide for you. Look at what it says in Romans 3, 23, verse 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by the grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2, 3, 6 says, this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of truth, good and bad, friend and foe. For there is no one God, for there is one God and one meteor between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. And this is now being witness to you at the proper time. Even with his last breath on Calvary, Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. These same people that were singing Hosanna in the highest seven days ago are now mocking me, spitting on me, casting lots for my clothing. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do because of love. So I tell you, love your enemy. 
Pray for those who persecute you. In the upside down economy of the kingdom of God, this is what we're called to do. Verse 47 says, if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more for others? Even pagans, even pagans greet their own people. What about greeting your neighbor? What about greeting that coworker that you've had an issue with? What about somebody going home today, sitting before you even go home? What about in, in, in the lobby here or in the chat? Greeting that person that, that you just don't, y'all don't mix well. Walking across the lobby and saying, how are you today? Verse 45, verse 45, it says that the sun, he, he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Sun and rain make things grow and nourish things. And God, Jesus says, listen, I give it to everybody. This is free grace. This answers the question. Many people who ask, why do good things happen to bad people? This is, anyway, why do good things happen to bad people, pastor? I don't get it. God says, I give the rain and the sun freely to all, and I hope that they would look at it and they would recognize me. But you know what even helps them better to look and recognize? It's to look at us as children, the text says, as children of God. And the same way that God provides for people's practical needs, that's what he calls us to do when we love our enemies. We provide for their practical needs. I love Pastor Larry just talking about generosity, talking about the dollar club. What would it look like to provide for someone in need? Someone you may not agree with their politics, you may not agree with their choices, but you know they have a father in heaven, whether they recognize him or not, who loves them and is reaching out to them through you. What would it look like if you gave generously and this church, this community was able to unleash compassion over this region and people would go, look at what those Christians are doing. They're answering needs. And then he tells, tells us in verse 44. Verse 44, he says, and pray for those who persecute you. Look at me now, I want you to get this. It is hard to hate someone you pray for. It is hard to pray for someone you're asking God to heal 
that you're asking God to provide for, that you're asking God to bask all his riches and glories upon. It is hard to hate that person. At my church, we talk about this as communicators. We talk about having uh, me too moments. Me too moments are when, when we as, the, as the, the, the people who stand up on the platforms and talk, instead of just always telling people, hey, this is what the Bible says, this is what Jesus says, there are moments where we go, hey, people would look at us and go, oh yeah, me too, I deal with that. And ready? There are people who I hold as my enemy. And the thought, the thought of them turns my stomach, sends a chill in my veins as this anger in me that seethes bubbles to the surface. But God has told me If I am a citizen of the kingdom of God, I need to uphold the character of God. 22 years ago, I had this roommate named Joe. And Joe stole about $3,000 from me and my other roommate, Josh. He didn't, all, he didn't only just do that. Joe used my car, I ended up finding out, to, to do some uh, criminal activities. He stole hundreds of dollars from one of my dear friends that he was dating at the time. He actually stole the two dogs of the girl he was living with right before he went on the run. I... Last week, I was at the airport, and I looked to my left, and I saw a guy who looked like him. And just like that, I was back there. You know I'm committing to you, friends? The brother in Christ, here's what I'm committing to you. This week, I've begun to pray for Joe. I don't know where he is in this world. Maybe, Joe, maybe you're watching, man. In the off chance that you are, man, I forgive you because God forgave me. And I'm praying that you come into a knowing relationship with Jesus. I'm praying for good things in your life. I'm praying for redemption. I'm praying for healing. I'm praying for repentance because I am broken just like you. And I was in need of a savior just like you. And I'm not excusing what he did 22 years ago. But I'm ready to begin to pray for God to do something in him. Who's that person for you? Who's that person in your life? I'm not talking about somebody on Fox News or CNN. I'm not talking, everybody hates Putin. Okay, like, listen, I'm not, no, no. 
Who's that person in your world, in your life right now that you got to love? Because Christ loved you first. I want to close with just five small steps that might help you move towards this understanding of loving your enemy. The first one is this. Don't live in your hurts. Don't live in your hurts. Don't hold on to something for 22 years and it takes preaching at Northgate Church for God to smack you upside the head to tell you to let it go and let God. Number two, do not reply in anger. When someone wrongs you, the proverb tells us a gentle answer turns away wrath. Do not argue. Number three, be patient with annoying people. Be patient with annoying people. First Thessalonians tells us to be patient with everyone. That includes people who put too much information on their Facebook. <laughs> be patient with them. Because ready, look at me in the eyes, friends. We are all in progress. Number four, pray for those who hurt you. There, there are things that have happened to some of you that I cannot imagine. And I am sorry. Pray for those who hurt you. And number five, turn your enemy into a friend. Turn your enemy into a friend. The command to love your enemy is a command to set your mind on things that are above. A command to love your enemy is a command to find your hope and your satisfaction in God and his great reward. The steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. So when I am loving my enemy, I am not doing it to earn the reward of heaven. I'm treasuring the reward of heaven that empowers me to love. At the end of the Civil War, at the end of the Civil War, a group of angry Southerners got an audience with then-President Abraham Lincoln. And they aired their complaints to him. But his gentle and friendly, warm demeanor thawed their icy hostility. And they left with a new respect for this old foe. But then there was this northern congressman who insisted that Lincoln must destroy his enemies and not befriend them. Look at what Lincoln said. Am I not destroying my enemies by making them my friends? He 
His words are echoes of the work of Jesus for each and every one of us. And as sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ, this should be our response to the world. We love you. We're praying for you. We're poor in spirit, just like you. But we've been ransomed. And we've been saved. And we're praying the same for you today. Father God, I pray that these words would echo deep inside each and every one of us. This command that we would love our enemies. Whether that enemy is across the street, across the hallway, across the classroom, across the office. And we would show the redemptive love that we've experienced as sons and daughters of the King and invite others into it. Thank you for this amazing grace. We love you. We thank you in Christ's name. All God's people said. And this concludes this week's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed spending some time with us. And if you haven't already, like and subscribe to our YouTube and find us on Instagram at NGATECF. See you next week.